The views and opinions expressed on the Untold History Revealed podcast are solely those of the individual stating them and are not necessarily those of the Untold History Revealed owners. Now sit back and grab a cup of coffee or tea as we discuss some moments in history that may have been untold or forgotten. Another episode of Untold History Revealed starts now. Hello, gang, and welcome to another episode of Untold History Revealed. I am your host, Sean Donnelly. And I'm your co-host, Marianne Donnelly. Uh, tonight we are going to build upon a little bit from our last podcast, which we were talking about the ghosts of the White House. But yet tie it to some something important history. for today's date in history. Yeah, today's date in history. Um we mentioned in the last one that there were several sightings of British soldiers. The trying, fire burner. That's right. They were they were trying to set fire to certain things in the White House, and people had, had, have seen that. Mm -hmm. um, so, in trying to pick the topic for today, um, I went and looked. I tried to tie it into the date and what happened. And it just so happens that the actual burning of the White House... And Washington, other buildings, it wasn't just the White House, actually took place on August 24th. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? No. You didn't know that? I didn't. Late August. So, um, here's just an overview on what kind of went down on August 24th. All right, so this was back during, it was August 24th. 1814 so it was back during the war of 1812 that, that started in 1812 and um, under general robert ross of the british army uh, he was able to overwhelm the american militia at what was called the battle of bladensburg in maryland and when he did that they were unopposed and marched right into washington dc um so leading up to that, the citizens and, and officials and everybody like that in Washington knew that they're basically going to get through because they were, I don't want to say outnumbered, but it was, one of the things I read, it was hardened uh, battle, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They were. They came know. from being in battle, so they knew how to fight, going against militia. Okay. okay. So they kind of knew that they would overcome the militia and make their way to Washington D.C. So they started different preparations, and basically the citizens, the the regular citizens that left or lived in town, they just got out quick right in the beginning. And then the officials started to leave, and you're going to talk about later about some of the other stuff where they were trying to save relics and documents and things like mm -hmm. that um, to get it out of the nation's capital. And uh, uh, so, at this, it by the time they got into Washington, most congressmen and 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 citizens and everybody were were out of town. Yeah, they. I read that it was more than ninety percent of everyone was gone. Yeah, so they knew. They knew it was happening. <laughs> it's, it's not going to hold up. Um, and then President Madison 
and his wife, they stayed as long as they could, and she was responsible for saving a national relic too, and we'll talk about that. Um, but it was pretty simple for them, uh, the British Army, um, to pretty much overwhelm the militia, and uh, it took a couple of days, but uh, they did it, and they marched into Washington, D.C., late in the afternoon of August 24th. Now, one thing that's kind of interesting is when this was going on, President Madison actually went to this battle, which was like six miles away from Washington, D.C. So he went there, and at one point, he took over one of or two, one or two um, of the militia's batteries and exercised his right of the commander-in-chief. <laughs> and it's the only time that that has happened that the president has actually you know taken over command during a battle which is that's quite interesting, interesting. Yeah. yeah um and then you know he kind of saw hey things are uh things are not going to be good so he sent word to his wife to say hey get ready to get out because you know it's just not going to happen but once they marched into town, okay, this uh, General Ross and his officers, that night they dined in the White House that was basically emptied out. The, so, the British dined in the White House? This General Robert Ross and his officers dined in the White House, the, the deserted White House. They dined there that night. They actually ordered food for 40 people to come in, and there was a, you know, this is this was actually done as a payback because the Americans were crossing over the border into Canada, and they did this in, well, what we call Toronto now. They burned the city into this. So this was kind of like a payback, and they were going to do it in our capital, and, uh, so that night they dined there. But the British troops, they were celebrating in a static that here they just took over the capital of America. And they were partying a little bit. They started to set fires. And it wasn't just the White House. The Capitol building, one of the things that they did in the Capitol building, they went to, um, the, the Capitol wasn't finished at the time they were still working on it but they went to the different wings and pulled furniture and stacked it up in the center of the building doused it with gunpowder and threw a torch on it nice um, several residents private homes were burnt um, the capitol building I already said that uh, the house of representatives the library of congress those were like totally gutted. A number of other federal buildings, um, even the uh, treasury. They went into the treasury. They thought they would get all this money, but you know, yeah, it was taken we away. Yeah. So we didn't keep it there. Um, it was pretty uh, pretty bad. And they actually, uh, one of the things I read was that they could see the flames as far as away as Baltimore. Yeah, I read Lexington and yeah. things like that. So, um, 
on August 26th, which was two days after they've taken over the capital, the regular army finally made it there, and this general realized we're not going to be able to hold the capital for very long, so they retreated back the way they came, and uh, that was pretty much it. But the next day, President Madison returned to Washington, um, to a charred Washington, and vowed to rebuild the city. So that was in 1814, and it took three years. I don't know about the other buildings, but it took three years to basically rebuild the White House. Hmm. So. Yeah. Well, you know, what I find amazing is the timings of these things. They knew that the British were coming. They got every. They all got out. the The British knew that the Union Army or the you know the American Army was coming, and they're like, "Okay, we're not going to make it. Let's just get out." You know, yeah. it's like they they had all this time. You know, in today's day and age, we we just kind of go in and go out and quick, and yeah, fast paced, and and yeah. they had time to have a lot of things done. Right, right. So, yeah, they did because basically you have somebody galloping on horse or scouts or sending them out there. Right. Fast-paced and they come back and say, "Mm, you know what, we got a little problem coming our way. Mm -hmm. You have two days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's not like they're coming in. And a lot of this, a lot of the support that they had came from sea too, you know, so... The ships were made of wood and, and stuff like that, and battleships and stuff. They didn't move that fast, you know. Right. But, you know, you can imagine, oh my, you know, it's like, in two days, my home is going to be invaded. Give you a little time to prep. Now, it could happen at any minute. Right. Know, conspiracy theory, but, you know, and... I'm surprised, and we're going to go into it in a little bit more detail, either before or after break. I don't know. We're only 10 minutes in. But um, how this happened, I'm surprised that the military that was guarding our nation's capital was militia. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't regular army because they were out basically fighting the British in different places. And I think on one of the podcasts where we were talking about um, Gettysburg, where, you know, Lee being egotistical and stuff, the Battle of Gettysburg, if he would have sent somebody, you know, hey, we'll take care of it here. You guys head for the capital. Could have changed things dramatically because there was nobody there supporting it. And here's the thing is, I say it's militia that was guarding. It was 6,000 militia was guarding the nation's capital. So President Madison figured, eh, we got it covered. You know, we're okay. But when they started going against these experienced military guys that were in the British Army, and I'll explain why they were experienced, uh, they're starting to get missiles shot at them and cannon fire and, and things like that and they're like whoa wait a minute we, we're not ready for this and they f- they fled so you know that would be it was like oh wait a minute who's guarding who's guarding the white house mm-hmm. so um 
And they, they seem to not have learned very well from this experience because, like you said, the Battle of Gettysburg, a little, you know. Not, yeah, really. Let's they, send they, all they the regular army They didn't pay attention. Oh, wait, last time we we had a big yeah. war kind of going on, and they came here. This is what happened. And, and guess what? It wasn't that long ago, you know? Yeah. It was only less than 100 years, but, um, yeah. Well, I, I, I see nowadays, well, look at 9-11, and I don't want to bring it up, but, hey, a plane hit the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. They penetrated the Pentagon. And there's something to say that the plane that went down in, Pennsyl- in Pennsylvania was heading for the White House. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's scary. Yeah. But. Those are those are slightly different, though. Those are like. A more minute. fast paced. They're much faster paced. <laughs> and, and like, um, how do you defend against that? Whereas this was like, oh, we know for several days, or you know, that they're coming. Let's you know deal oh, with this. You're not getting anywhere near the White House now. They got missiles on the top of it and all kinds of stuff like that, and you know, it's not going to happen. But still, uh, if we were to be attacked, I'm sure one of the targets is going to be the nation's capital. You take that over, you know. So let me just explain this a little bit um first of all when you talk about militia back in those days you know most of the american army was let's say militia because you know the nation was just formed but yet when you had military they went in and that's all they did was military training Okay, farmers or whatever. When you have militia, these were people who were called up to arms, the farmers and stuff like that, that didn't have the military training. They had some. However, the militia back then was more like a club, so to speak. Right. You know, it was, hey, we get together once a week or something and practice shooting or something like that. Or, you know, I'm sure there was some drinking going on. Oh, of course. They were all pretty much, if you would look at them today, they would all pretty much be alcoholics because literally all they did yeah. was go to the taverns. Of course they did that because the, you know, water and things like that weren't always the safest. But right. but it was like a boys club, so to speak, you know, a hunting club or something like that, like we know today or, you know, just guys getting together on the weekends and that was the militia, all right? Now, when I say these, uh, the British soldiers were battles seasoned, so to speak. These troops that were fighting against the Americans at that time just finished fighting the French. Because in April of this year, April of 1814, Napoleon stepped down from the throne and basically that was it so the british sent over to the united states about four thousand soldiers that were over fighting the french so these guys were they were already in battle they knew what to expect that kind of stuff um and now they're going up against these good old boys that aren't trained as well and these good old boys are guarding our nation's capital True. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. 
to me, that was not a smart move. But especially when war was going on, you would have some troops, maybe. But who knows? Maybe back then there were just... We couldn't spare enough, but... There was this other guy, too. Um, Admiral Cockburn. Admiral George Cockburn. He, be, he spent most of the of 1813 going up the coast of the United States terrorizing communities with his ship. You know what I mean? They were going up and down. He was just, oh, there's a little town. Ba-boom, you know. And, and then in February, this, this is what's funny. They spent the winter in Bermuda. Yeah, why not? (laughs) So, you know, he got on his mind in in February of 1814. Hey, I'm going to head towards D.C. because with everything else going on, I might have a chance to take the city after the little time in Bermuda. So, uh, So you had that going on at the same time, too. And it was just a lot of things came together. Now, the fighting... From the British and America was actually coming down from, you know, between the border between America and the United States. And one of the things that was proposed, there were negotiations going on between the Americans and the British, trying to get a resolution of this war and, and all this other stuff. And one of the things that was proposed that I found kind of interesting was they proposed to have a nation in between Canada in the United States that was Native American. Okay. You know, carve out some land between the two countries and make that a nation that was all Native American. That was one of the things that was on the table. But, of course, when they attacked Washington, all negotiations kind of fell through. But that would be kind of interesting, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, another thing that I found interesting, too, is um, President Madison, he he proposed that he wanted at least 2,000 U.S. regulars plus 10 to 12,000 militia in reserve to stand at the ready to guard the nation's capital during time of war. You know, we're just fighting up not that far away on the border. But the uh, Secretary of War at the time, whose name was John Armstrong, insisted to the last possible moment that the British will never attack Washington, D.C. Could you imagine that guy after they attacked Washington, D.C.? He did not do well. He was... Yeah. I'm sure he lost his commission. That's a good way to get fired. Nah, they're not coming. They're not coming. They're not coming. Even if you are adamant that they're not coming, you just prepare. This is your capital. This is the centralized government of your country. Prepare. Even if they don't come, it's better to have been... You know, prepared and prepared in vain rather than to not have prepared. And that's the same thing that we see a lot in, like, parts of the country where they have continual, you know, fires and tornadoes and, like... Yeah, they go back and rebuild. 
Well, yeah, in they the go back spot. and rebuild in the same spot, but at the same time... Oh, we shouldn't say that. They, we'll probably get another target. Yeah, back, but, but they... They wait until the very last moment to because they're like, oh, it's oh, not going to happen. Way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's not oh, going to be that bad. Oh, it's not going to do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we've been through worse before. And and then sometimes it's too late. Yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, they do. It's like that cried, the boy who cried wolf syndrome, you know. Oh, if they don't come, they don't come, they don't come. Well, then next time when they do come, we won't have evacuated. And, and uh unfortunately that's the way we think and i I don't know i i just think that especially with your centralized government you you just prepare even when you don't think it might you're going to talk about this in in a little bit maybe we're starting to run a little closer to break but maybe after break but even your your important documents Mm -hmm. the declaration of independence uh artifacts that belong to the country and things like that uh that's where they're at right you know if they want to destroy you as a whole where what are they going to do the library most valuable assets the library of commerce was gutted so whatever was in there prior to 1814 it's gone it's gone forever right so yeah there should be some people protecting that I think I pay taxes. I hope somebody's guarding that stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, it's kind of important. I I know they what have. What would a... happen if the Declaration of Independence was basically? I know it's getting old and tattered and things like that, but that's the official document. Right. You lose an important court document, but they have them probably all digital now that they can print them again. But if they destroy that document back then. They couldn't make digital copies, photocopies. Yeah, it's the original document. I mean, but that's why have, they have different copies and right. probably send them to different parts they of the state. They did states. have different copies. But I'm saying it's it. it's like that's uh, the Declaration. I know. Of yeah. I know. Okay. You're you're preaching to the choir over <sighs> here. You know. Uh, all right. So, anyways, they they even though President Madison proposed that Secretary of War said, ah, no, 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 they're not going to, nah. So they only had 6,000 militia in reserve. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so, like we said, um, they knew this was coming, okay? So on, uh, around August 20th, there was a scouting party that was led by Secretary of State James Monroe. Hmm. Someone else I know. Yeah. Um, he was sent out to find out, like, basically how many troops and that kind of stuff, what they were looking at. Just so happens they forgot a spyglass. Are you serious? Yeah. How do you go out on a scouting trip and forget to take your spyglass? Yeah. So they really couldn't judge the size of the invasion <laughs> forces. Um, so once the British got moving, they basically had very little resistance to get into town. Um, they had a little bit of skirmishes along the way, nothing to worry about. They even got into a skirmish with Monroe's party. Um, on the way, and uh, they passed a uh, 
a certain area as they went in to town, which forced, what was the guy's name, uh, Commodore Joshua Barney, forced him to actually blow up his own gunboats so that they couldn't be taken over by the British. You know, so I think they we kind of... Oh, they're coming. <laughs> Blow them up. I guess yeah. if... Well, I, I guess we kind of do that today with our, you know, sensitive planes and things like that. If they if yeah. they crash land or whatever, we sort of have a self-destruct. Yeah, we kind of do that still today, but... When you when you put it like oh I have to blow up my own gunboat it just it seems weird but I guess if we think about it we still do that today rather than than letting others see our way of doing things or well, I know another thing that that took place and this is not to deviate from Washington burning which is the title of this podcast but um, Philadelphia one of the things we heard when we were in Philadelphia was that the Liberty Bell. All bells, actually, in Philadelphia, they gut them out of town um, and hid them because the British were taking the bells and melting them down to make cannons and stuff like that. So, can you imagine the Liberty Bell being a cannon somewhere? That would, yeah, yeah, be a little different. So, um, where are we at? Are we pretty close to break? Yeah, it's close enough, I think. All right, so let's take a quick break, and when we get back, uh, you got some stuff some stories yeah I have a couple about some stories. of the evacuation and uh kind of interesting stuff so we'll be right back all right stay tuned mark your calendars Close your doors and turn off all the lights. As twice a month, BTE Radio brings you a new episode of The Haunted Spotlight. Sean and Marianne Donnelly of Dark Shadow Ghost Tours dig deep into the archives of the Panic D database and take you inside a different location with each new episode. Learn the rich history and hear the paranormal claims of some of the most infamous and unsuspecting locations from around the country. Ever wonder what roams the property? or lurks behind those closed doors? Curious about the true history of that creepy house that sits down the street? Want to know what evidence a paranormal investigation group may have captured? Then find out every other Sunday and tune in to BTE Radio for another chilling episode of The Haunted Spotlight, if you dare. <laughs> Okay, and we are back. We're talking about the burning of Washington, D.C. Uh, it took place during the Battle of 1812. Actually, on today's date, August 24th, 1814, um, where the British overtook the militia and got into Washington, D.C. and started setting it on fire. And yeah. So, anyways, um, during this battle, when, when they were heading towards dc there there was a regular uh was an army it was actually navy i don't know if they called it navy back then i don't know i don't know um but uh 
there was a commodore that pleaded with uh, uh, Madison for him to come and fight, and which he did. And they put up a pretty good fight and kind of was holding him back a little bit, but um, he got wounded and uh, captured by the British. That was Commodore Barney. And um, the British actually were so impressed with his bravery and everything, they paroled him and his men right away. Well, that's nice. Yeah, they said... um, Weird, but nice. They've given us the only fight we've had, so we'll let them go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, nice, but weird. Yeah. Who does that? So, uh, anyways, uh, President Madison was there. He, He knew, hey, they're coming. This is it. So he sent word by messenger ahead to his wife, Dolly, who was back at the White House, and said, uh, pack it up, get out. Get ready. They're coming. So one of the things that she did, and we're going to talk, you're going to talk about this, is some of the things that they saved, um, the citizens and and some of the politicians, congressmen, whatever, um, as they were fleeing the city. But um, one of the things that Dolly saved before she got out, there was a, a full full length portrait of George Washington that was in the White House that she was not going to leave until she had arrangements for somebody to get that out of the White House and get it to safety. And it still exists. It's amazing. So yeah, thanks to just Dolly thanks Madison, she, that yeah, still exists. She, so, she made that happen. If she wouldn't have, and she just said, okay, well, I'm gone, that portrait would have no longer existed. Right, and it, and it today is at the White House. Yes, yes, that's true. Um, and I've seen it several times with different pictures of presidents and stuff. They're standing in front of it, but... Um, Interesting little tidbit right there. Mm-hmm. So what's some of the other things that uh, the citizens did to try to save some artifacts, things like that? Well, so. some of the citizens did some things that they didn't really realize they were doing by providing some transport materials to take things in and out, They, you know, carriages and things like that. Um, some of them were commandeered. <laughs> and oh, some of them so were. they didn't have a choice. <laughs> Pretty much, they didn't have a choice. You got room. Take this. Yeah. <laughs> Move over. But um, as you you had mentioned, a lot of our buildings were being you know burned to the ground, and uh, so we knew that this was going to happen. Well, they weren't being burnt yet, but they knew the well, bridge yeah, was coming. They, they could they have knew. been burnt. They, they could have been blown up. They could have been whatever. They needed yeah. to get this stuff out. You yeah. mentioned that they were burned down. Yeah. So I okay. kind of. Um, but most of the people were, were fleeing the town and, you know, everybody was getting out and they were taking their stuff in their carriages and they were vamoose, right? So that's normal people, but we have all these really important documents that we have in our, in our capital here. And maybe we need to get rid of some of those and get those to safety too, and uh, some people were very influential in making that happen. Uh, one of them uh, was Samuel Birch. 
and he was at the House of Representatives, and he was instrumental in saving House documents. Or? He was a colleague yeah, so. of Frost who who worked in in the building. But so I he don't worked know. In the building, he just I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly if he was a senator at the time or not. But he did do some real good for us. Um, so maybe you can do a little fact checking for me on, on that. What was but his name again? Samuel Birch, B U R C H. Um, but what he did was on the 22nd, he's looking around and saying, all right, they're they seriously like right there a couple days away. They're going to be here. Let's get this stuff out. So he started to look for some transport to move some documents from the house. And he ordered three messengers from there to go out and to find him some transport. Find me something to get this stuff out of town. And what they came back with, three messengers went out, right? They came back with one cart and four oxen. That's it. That's all they can get. And did he get it from close by, from in town? No. He got it from a place six miles away in the countryside. And the the original battle was six miles. So. direction. It's like, dude, get here quick. I know it's going to take them a while, but they're coming. Right. Yeah. So he, he, he's he got this one cart and four oxen, and he's like, all right, let's load up these things as best we can. So he loaded up the, the most important documents that he had that he could get his hands on in the house, and he drove it nine miles into the countryside uh, to a place that he felt was a place of safety. But he and... Um, and Frost, uh, who again, as I said, was, was also working there uh, at the house, he, they were just so frustrated because they knew that they could save a lot more if they had just had more more vehicles, more yeah. things to transport this stuff well, in. One thing that uh, I just saw right now, which is kind of interesting, we've heard of the National Archives. Yes. Okay. The National Archives wasn't formed... Uh, Congress didn't create that till 1934. Okay, so mm-hmm. before then, each department of the government was charged with safekeeping of certain documents. Their own documents. Their own documents, yeah. right. So what we're talking about are documents such as the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, George Washington's paper, as the papers as the commander of the Continental Army. I mean, these are priceless documents mm-hmm. um, that were not in the National Archives, which now is probably, you know, push a button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping. I'm hoping so, you know, too. Fire doors. <laughs> you know, you're not yeah. getting in there. But, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but they, but they, as you said, had all these documents that were up, that were assigned to the house. Any of their own documents, they had to hold safekeeping of their own stuff. And he's just like, we could have saved so much more. And even the Library of Congress, he thought about the Library of Congress, too. And he's like, we could have saved the contents of this. But we just, we couldn't. We had nothing. We we had one cart and four oxen. What are we going to get out of here with that? So he did save some things, um, and he is credited with saving all of the documents that were saved from the house. 
But the Senate had the same problem. The Senate had the very same problem. And it sort of was even worse off than the House. Not necessarily because they couldn't find a cart, which they couldn't. They, they had trouble with that, too. But the guy who was in charge, the Secretary of the Senate, he died in April. April. We're in August, August right? Yeah. He died in April, and they never replaced him. So all they had was the principal clerk, who was sort of the next in line, right? He's out of town. So there's two young guys that are just these young clerks who haven't been doing it for a while. You know, they're just youngins. Um, there's McDonald, and I don't know if it's Machen. It's M-A-C-H-E-N. He's actually an awesome guy, right? He's young. He's only 24 years old. He's in charge, basically. Now, why is a 24-year-old not in the militia, right? Not in the army. Like, why is he not fighting? Well, he wasn't in the militia because he had just bought land. He had just bought a farm in um, Maryland. And so because he had just bought this farm in Maryland just like seven weeks ago, he, it disqualified him from being in the militia in town, in, in the capital area. But he hadn't been called up yet. He wasn't in, in it technically yet in Maryland. So he didn't, he was like a man without a country. Like he didn't have a group to be in. And so he's like, well, I'll just stick it out and I'll help the citizens here and I'll try to do my best to help at the capital. And that's what he did. Uh, on the 21st, again, they know these British are coming. They know this is happening. And he's going, twiddling his thumbs, going, what am I going to do? Am I going to get anybody above me going to tell me what to do? Like, yeah. what, do, what should I do? Finally, on the 21st, he says, look, we, we just can't wait anymore. <laughs> and he goes to the other guy who's supposed to be, like, in it with him. He's like, McDonald, listen, we got to get this stuff out of here. Either you're going to help me or I'm going to do it by myself. And so he basically commands, <laughs> he gives him an ultimatum. He's like, just help me or else I'm just going to go do it myself. And McDonald says, okay, I'll do that. I'll help you out. So they go and they go in search of, again, transport vehicles. What can I get to get me out of town? Uh, but they had some trouble, of course. They couldn't find anything because, of course, all the civilians had taken all their things well, and gotten out of town. Here's another thing, too, about Dolly Madison. We, you know, I said earlier that she wasn't leaving until she got that painting um, of George Washington out of there. But another thing, too, was, and now I can't find it, I just read it, but um, there, when, when President Madison went to that battle, he told her, be ready to leave at a moment's notice. Just be ready to go. Right. So she started taking important documents from the White House and packing them in trunks. Okay. And she packed enough to fill a carriage, their carriage, and say, go, get out of here. I don't have time to pack personal belongings 
I don't have room to pass personal. They left all their personal belongings in the White House. And that's why those people that take those positions, yeah. they they are not in it for themselves. They are in it for the country. You know, the the, right. the Madisons were in it for the protection of our country. Gilbert Stewart is who painted that painting. That's what I was looking for. Um, but yeah, she she pressed as many cabinet papers into trunks as to fill one carriage. Our private property must be sacrificed, as it is impossible to procure wagons for transportation. Because all the regular citizens are already probably just like, we're out of here. Yeah, and they yeah. did. I mean, they were all, and that's what the problem was with these guys from the House and the Senate. And they couldn't find any 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 carriages, any transport vehicles yeah. in town. And... Uh, it was difficult. So, yeah, she had to leave her things behind. We had to leave a lot of things behind in all of these other buildings as well. But um, Mockin, um, he goes out to get something. He says uh, that the other guy, you know, McDonald, you have to go look for stuff too. And Mockin actually obtains a single wagon. But as I mentioned at the beginning of this thing, you know, Sometimes they, people just didn't know what they were going to do to help. They didn't know they were helping. Well, here in this case, Makun said, um, give it to me. If you don't give it to me voluntarily, I'm impounding it and I'm taking it anyway. Because we have to get this stuff out of town. And so uh, he gets this one vehicle, this this one wagon, and he goes back to the Capitol, and he finds McDonald didn't get a, an, another vehicle. Donald isn't even there. Oh, he's gone, too. He's gone, too. He he's, actually he's left town. Uh, he went to go and make arrangements for the safety of his family. So this leaves Mockin in charge of the, anything. So Mockin, the driver, and a messenger that he had with him, they load the most valuable documents that they could find into this one vehicle, including the only copy of the Senate's um, executive history. And kind of an important one, especially with the military coming in from another, you know, another country. Um, it, he also took a, a, another document that listed the names and the positions of all the American military forces. Yeah, so that's, that's, kind that's of important. an important one. And... Basically, he they set out for his farm. Remember, he bought a farm in in Maryland. Yeah. So they set out for this farm in Maryland where he was living. But the wagon loses a wheel. Oh, jeez. And so Great. they're near a blacksmith shop when it happens, but they can't find a replacement. So they can't even steal a wheel to replace it. And they're still two miles away from his farm. So instead, um, you know, the wagon's overturned, whatever, and they try to repair it. But that repair work, it takes a lot of time. And uh, the next morning, um, McDonald arrived out of nowhere. He just kind of shows up. And he's like, oh, well, let's take this stuff uh, we'll take it over here. So he shows up. He takes the the loaded wagon to a Quaker village in Brookville, which is a little 
town outside of Montgomery County. And it's sort of out of the way of the advancing British, and the documents remain there until a month later. They leave in this little this little Quaker so I was town just thinking, for a like month. The, the stuff that they got out of town, it's like, did they get it all back? Did they take it all back? Did they remember where they put it? Man, where did we put that list <laughs> of all the military officers? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, they they did get it that stuff back, but they left it there in this little Quaker town for a month uh, before they returned it to Washington. You know, I can imagine what the uh, not to get back to to the that portrait of George Washington, but I can imagine what the British would have done to that because they considered him a traitor. He he, he was an officer in the British Army, and he left and became the father of our country. So true. Yeah, but definitely would have destroyed it but imagine what they would have done to it before it was destroyed but mm-hmm. all right so you had mentioned james monroe yes and this that little spyglass incident oops um hopefully he learned from this skirmish. yeah hopefully a little bit well he did send uh, a note back he kind of like scribbled it back and, and that's kind of how they really started preparing he said, okay, go back and, and tell them to start securing the, the best documents that we've got. And uh, there's this one guy, one of the clerks in, in one of the areas, Stephen Pleasanton. He went ahead and he took it upon himself to buy uh, a really coarse, um, durable linen. And he had it cut up. And made into book bags. And he then, along with other clerks in the buildings, stuffs these bags with important documents like the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, international treaties, George Washington's correspondence. Bill of Rights. You know, yeah. He makes sure that these things... And makeshift backpacks. Yes. Go into these little, you know, handmade book bags uh, made out of this linen stuff, and wow. he tries to get it out white of town. Gloves. You know, somehow <laughs> I feel he did not. No, no, uh, no. Yeah, but uh, they—that's what they did. They tried. They got these things out by putting them in these little book bags, and you know, yeah, grabbing things. Well, it's a good thing that they, you know, he did that. I mean, because. Obviously, it saved those documents. I mean, if if he wouldn't have, if he wouldn't have been around, if he would have been one of the ones that, hey, I'm out of here. I'm going to go get my family saved. All I'm that not stuff making would a be book gone bag. because it, it, it Our burnt. constitution yeah. would have been lost, you know? Just... But, you know, that guy should be like, a, you know, have some sort of special, well, maybe he does, but just for thinking of doing that, you know. Yeah. We can't let them get these documents, but Well, he ended up that he um loads these bags onto carts that he ha- he gets, and you where, know. Did he, did it say where he took them? Did yeah. It? Yeah, he takes them um and he crosses the Potomac with them. Holy cow. He drives 
They drive two miles to Georgetown. No, wait a minute. The Potomac. We didn't talk about that. It's a river. It's a river, but it has British warships in it at the time. <laughs> he crosses Details. Over. Details. Excuse me. Just fishing. <laughs> oh, leave him alone. He's just got backpacks. He's got book bags. <laughs> He's book bags. He's special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well... Here's the thing. He goes upstream. He goes a little above Georgetown, and he finds this abandoned mill. He's like, this is going to be a great place. So he he stashes the stuff in this mill. But then he realizes this mill is actually opposite the Foxhole's foundry in Georgetown, which is the largest manufacturer of munitions in the country. Oh, man. So he's like, you know what? I'll Maybe bet you this isn't a good idea. I'll bet you that this is going to be a target for Could be the reason why it was an abandoned mill. <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to be a, a, you know, a big target for the for the British. So maybe we need to get these out of here. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So he decides to reload the carts with this, you know, these bags of, of precious documents. And he drives this 35 miles inland to a place called Leesburg, Virginia. Here, he finds an empty house, and he places the documents in this house. He locks the door and takes the key and gives it to the local sheriff. And he's like, okay, here you go. You're now in charge. Did, did the sheriff know what they were? I don't know if say, he hey, knew, dude. but... See this key? Put it in your pocket. You don't know nothing about it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, but uh, then he goes and he checks into a hotel. And, you know, that's... that's very, It's a very important key. Yeah. He checks into a hotel, goes talks to some townspeople, and they go hang out in the streets and watch the glow of the city of Washington burning in, in, the, in the lamplight, you know? Wow. So that... <laughs> I'm just thinking, okay, so here's this guy with his keys, like some okay, so the guy gave me his key to like hold on to. I don't know what it goes to, but uh you know or he told him if he told him what the the document Yeah, that guy's gotta be did, like Did he like sneak over and say, Dude, hey, I gotta keep we gotta go look at these <laughs> Come on. Yeah. And then they like sign her name on the back of them or something. <laughs> Is that what's on the back of the Constitution? It's not a hidden map. It's not it's like the in the movie. <laughs> wow. You know, I I just wish I knew the sheriff's name. Like if anybody out there actually knows the name of the sheriff who had the key that got to watch all this stuff and like protect our documents, like we know who who yeah, but we don't know if put him in the bag if he and knew what the key was for. Yeah, could have said sheriff, you're the you're, you know you're the law in town. I just want you to hold this key. You know, yeah. What's it for? I can't tell you. Just hold on to the key. If it's I very tell important. you, I gotta kill you. Let's just <laughs> yeah, say I'm, I'm a... from Washington. It's important. <laughs> hold on to the key. I mean, it could very well not be a local but sheriff. I'm telling you, I'm not saying that all police officers are, are, are corrupt, but they have some power. So if he would have known what that key was for, he definitely would have went and looked at the document. <laughs> I would. I would have absolutely. Yeah. You know, I bet you if we go, we know the the town. I, I wonder how good the town was at keeping records. If they if they have all their local sheriffs. Well, if we know history, the town, you know? 
if we know the town, we know what year it was. Yeah. 1814. Yeah. Who was the sheriff then? Yeah. Who was the keeper go of the key? <laughs> yeah, go find out. We want to know. All right. So what Moving else you got on. there? Well, I, I know you had kind of talked about, you know, they were setting fire to these buildings and, you know, they were kind of enjoying themselves as they, they were did it. You know, celebrating and things, the... but not all of them felt that way. And um, not all of them just kind of set things on fire sort of in merriment and accidental and things like that. There were some that were actually ordered to do so. And, like, the the Senate and the uh, House, they were – the people who burned those, they were actually ordered to burn them down. And some of the young, you know, young officers who were, like, looking around saying, this place is beautiful. like, And they were just amazed at the grandeur of the buildings. They're like, seriously? We have to burn this down? <laughs> you know, so some of them, you know, they they were ordered to burn these these locations. Um, but, of course, some of them probably were having well, a little merriment. Can you imagine being the apparition guy that's been reported in mm-hmm, the White House? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine being the one who set fire to the White House? Mm-hmm. This is where their president lives. It contains their... Oh, which, by the way, they took some souvenirs... Of course they, they did. They took a medicine cabinet that belonged to to uh, Madison. But um, personal belongings of the president and everything that's inside there. Yeah, um, they left all their personal belongings. Poor Yeah. That would be rough. I don't yeah. know. I don't they know. They definitely had a conscience then. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, so some of if them you get, did. If you look yeah. at it to, at the paranormal side, which we're trying to stay away from, but anyways, if you look at it at the paranormal side, look at that energy, the conflicting thoughts and, and stuff like that that could exist that lead to potential paranormal activity. Maybe that's why that that officer is being seen there because he was guilty about it and didn't want to do it. What do you think? What do you think about that? Huh? It could be. I like it. You know? I or mean, I could just be talking out my ear. <laughs> he could have been one that had a conscience. He felt guilty about it, and he's reliving it over and over And he has to relive it forever, forever. and ever and ever. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but as you had mentioned, like a lot of things were destroyed. Like, the whole town was torched. You know? Um, some of the buildings that that were lost there i mean there were supposedly in the in the library of congress at that time supposedly there were about 3000 volumes of rare books so gone gone mm-hmm. completely completely gone i got another one for you to think about ready sure it was originally proposed that the nation's capital would be philadelphia mhm could you imagine if Independence Hall was gone? Mm. What's that church? The first Episcopal church gone. All that stuff. Yeah. Could happen. It could have. Yeah. Could have very easily happened. You know, these buildings. It wasn't the architecture. As much as it was the content, because the buildings in Washington now are built. You know. 
stone, big stones and things like that. So the actual structures of most of them stayed. It's just the contents were Yeah, the insides were completely gutted. The White House itself, the inside of it was, you know, the wood parts were burnt. But um, those buildings in Philadelphia, no way. They would be gone down to the ground. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really think about that, but you're right. All right. Well, interesting uh, topic, don't yeah. you think? Yeah. You know, I I knew that the White House burnt, but mm-hmm. didn't realize that. And, and I knew that you know that other stuff. The, that Boy, that picture of George Washington how many books? was saved. How many Over books? three thousand. I bet you that was a blaze, huh? Yeah. All yeah. that. I mean, burning? today that's like nothing, but we're. We're talking 1814 for them to have accumulated that many, you know? I wonder what books were in there. Wow. It's a shame. Okay, well, do you have anything else? Well, of course, don't I always? Dumb question. (laughs) I do have just a couple more little things here. Okay. Um, So... We know that we got the Declaration of Independence back and things like that, but uh, in the actual White House, there are, are actually two things that we still have today in the White House that were there before the burning. Before two, the two artifacts, yeah. Okay. And well, I one, know about the one. One you know is painting. that painting that Dolly Madison um, saved for us. Huh. Uh, the other piece you had mentioned as well. You know that little, you know, medicine chest that you mentioned? The souvenir. The souvenir. The officer's yeah. Suit. Yeah. We actually have that back too. Really? Yeah. So let's talk first about the painting real quick and then okay. I'll come to your, your souvenir box. Well, I'm interested about the souvenir box. Okay. I know. That's Go. why I'm going to leave you waiting and hanging in suspense. Oh. <laughs> you know, in any case, Dolly Madison, she wanted that painting saved in the worst way because it was acquired by the federal government um, as the state portrait for the very first president and it was done for 1800 right mm-hmm. and it cost $800 so it was a lot of money she, and it was our first president she was bound and determined you she was going to have so this much? go ahead and tell him because it showed full body yes and hands and feet hands and feet which is the hardest part to paint and yes costs- what makes the paintings cost more. Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember that one. I know. I remember you taught me that. Uh, in any case, she said, save that picture if possible. Under no circumstances, allow it to fall into the hands of the British. And so she saw um, her slave, Paul Jennings, and another servant, and they were taking too long to unscrew the frame from the wall. So she told him to break the wood and just take out the linen canvas. And at that time, there's a guy, they call him French John. He entered and saw what they were doing, and he's like, oh, that's going to cause irreparable damage. So he orders him to stop, and according to uh, traditional accounts, with Dolly Madison's approval, he takes out a penknife and cuts it from the frame. So it actually used to be bigger than it is today. That's a pretty big painting. Yeah. And then he takes it and he gives it to some people who um, start to roll it up. 
And then he's like, no, don't do that. It The, the oil painting, the paint might crack. So they they just leave it uncoy, unrolled, and they escort it to um, by wagon through Georgetown into the countryside, and they leave it with a farmer that they kind of spent the night at. They leave it with him, and a few weeks later, they go back, get it, and return it to Dolly Madison. Okay, so while you were telling that story, I was listening intently. Of course you were. I was, but I did I did a little thing. You know how they have those inflation calculators yeah. on the internet? Okay. The one I found only goes back to 1913. 13. 13. Uh-huh. $800 in 1913. Today, $20,000. So add another 100 years to that. Yeah. Fifty, sixty thousand dollars. No wonder Dolly easy. Madison wanted to save that. Now thing, you right? put on top of it that it was there before the fire and all that other stuff. Yeah, definitely. And it's a first a president. Priceless painting. Yeah, yeah. But today it hold, it's it's in the East Room. Yes. So you can kind of go and check that out there. Well, in any case, the medicine chest. Okay, the You're, souvenir. The souvenir. Yes. I've been waiting for. <laughs> I know you have. Well. It actually got returned to the White House 125 years later, in 1939, by Archibald Keynes. He was a Canadian, and he wrote a letter to President Franklin D. Roosevelt. And he sent it and said that um, it was looted or pillaged from the White House by my grandfather. Who was a who was paymaster of the devastation, which was one of the boats that sailed uh, up the river at that time. And I hope you will find an appropriate resting place for this little relic, and should be very pleased if you gave it shelter in your home. Nice. So he he realized it and. You know, he returns it. it. Now in the White House, House, it's in the map room. In the map room. It's in the map room today. I want to go there. Yes. We should have went there. We should have gone there. We should have gone there. But um, in any case, it is there. And I just. See, I'd be afraid, though, to go to the White House and go on a tour. (laughs) You know? It's like when we go on some of these paranormal tours and stuff like that, and we've researched the place and the story. I'd be that way in the White House. And you see this painting, folks? And then, like, the tour guy would be just like, Shut up, sir. I'm going Get on out, break. sir. No, no, he'd be like, I'm just going on break. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that does happen with us. We actually do know. Or we just look at each other things. and roll our eyes, like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's not true. Oh, uh, wait. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just think about all of these relics that uh, we did get out. And we yeah. brought back, but we just kind of left them at, oh, with this farmer and that farmer and in this empty house. And Well, that's why I wondered with those, like, trunks of papers from the White House, if any of them did not make it back. Yeah, did some things kind of disappear? Them. But see, how would you prove them? Like, here's a document that was in one of those trunks and it's been in my family for years and it dates back before 1814 when the White House... Well, I guess it would have the date on it, but well, there are there are there are forensic document analysts who actually go through this. Um, There's some money, like yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But like the ink, yeah, the paper type, that kind of stuff. Um, 
for those of you, I don't know if I should tell just the general public this, but um, Inc. Every year, Inc. has a new additive added to it from different companies. And so when you're trying to determine oh, the geez, age of the of documents, it is. When you're trying to determine the age of the documents, you look at what the chemical composition is of that ink, and they compare it to what the chemical composition was of the ink at that year. Is that the same way with printer ink? Uh, I'm not sure about printer ink. Because now documents are printed. That's true. Although they're signed, I guess. I mean, I guess... I, I don't know. Probably. I mean, I'm sure that they, they've kind of moved along with that, but it kind of helps to date the document as to whether it has certain so chemical additives. Yeah, they're just little chemical additives that they add so that they can kind of judge See, big brothers watching. the time that it was written. This big ink pen is from the 18... <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... Is there anything else? Oh, Mrs. you know, if you ask me that question, I'll no, find we're something out of, else. I think we're, I think we're, we, uh, <laughs> we're out of okay. time. Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to wrap it up with that. All Although right. I didn't tell them about our, our blog site. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Okay, so <laughs> if you want to find out about some of our other uh, podcasts and some of our blog posts, you can go to our blog site, which is untoldhistoryrevealed.blogspot.com. And also on there, if you scroll down on the right-hand side, is a little form where you can drop us a line, send us a message, tell us we know what we're talking about or we have no clue what we're talking about. You heard <laughs> something different. or Did you ask? I did you ask, ask a question. If anybody I always knew ask the a question yeah, someday. If you know any more of that story about the sheriff. Uh, yeah. Let me know who the sheriff is. I want to know Marianne's, who got to hold on to that. Marianne will be watching the email closely. I will. To see if it comes in. But... Uh, Love to hear from somebody. Chirp, chirp, chirp. chirp. Hello. Hello. Is anybody there? Hello. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's getting late. All right. So that's going to wrap it up. Uh, so till next time, have a good evening. And thanks for listening. You've been listening to Untold History Revealed.